You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeusoft.com. This week's show is absolutely jam-packed with the tech news that matters, tips and tricks that will help you out, and even a few recommendations. My name is Christian Corley, and with me this week is Mr. Ben Stegner. How are you, Ben? Doing good. It's uh, good to be chatting with you, and uh, it's warm today here. I think we're having some weather where I can't decide whether it wants to be summer or winter, and I would just like spring. Uh, kind of, you know, little known fact, there actually is a season between those two, so hoping for a little bit of that, but uh, mm. yeah, doing good otherwise. Uh, well, I mean, in the latest uh, weather report from the northeast of the UK, it's freezing. Uh, it's about seven degrees outside, which is par for the course, really. Now, l- last couple of podcasts, I've actually um, put together uh, several weeks in advance. I'm sure you couldn't tell. And I was away last week in London, which I know for, you know, we have most of our audiences in the UK and the USA. And for those of us in the UK, that's a bit like, oh, he's gone to that day in London, unless you already live in London, in which case he's probably thinking, why is this northerner come here? For the Americans, you're probably thinking, oh, you've gone to see the Queen. Um, I mean, I kind of actually did do a bus tour, which I've never done before on any previous trips to London. But one of the things that uh, struck me most about the UK's capital, which always does, is how warm it is compared to where I'm from. Uh, yeah, I can go to any city in the north, and maybe maybe Liverpool and Manchester might be quite warm because of that sort of that urban heat that you get. Um, but generally speaking, it doesn't happen with other cities. I always find it's very warm in London, regardless. So London's uh, like muggy warm too, right? Yeah, totally. Okay. So um, that was what I was doing, and that's why the last few podcasts have just been me doing most of the talking and then uh, sort of pre-recorded sections of uh, basic material that we haven't used in other podcasts because we do do a big bit of talking and this week we've got a lot to get through and as we're recording this it's just transpired uh, in a small sequel to last week's uh, news section elon musk has bought twitter now we don't have a news report about this on make use of just yet but there should be one in the show notes in the meantime i'm just going to uh, refer to the uk telegraph which states that twitter has been bought for 44 billion dollars and the social network dropped its opposition to the Tesla billionaire's bid and unanimously, unanimously accepted the $54.2 per share bid. That is one of the quickest buyouts in history, surely. Yeah, I, I figured it would be quite a while more of, of going back and forth. Um, I had actually offered $43 billion myself, so you beat me by just just a billion there, so I, I just couldn't cough up the extra billion to match them. But yeah, shame. yeah, but yeah all, all joking aside, though, you're yeah, you're right that it was, I mean, I feel like this this hasn't even really been in the news for, what, 10 days, and now it's, done. it's not done, but it's, you know, settled, it's decided on. So that's quite a quick turnaround. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to this and there's a lot of people upset about this. But um, just to state here, the chief executive of Tesla and SpaceX, writes The Telegraph, has said he sees Twitter as a public square, quote unquote, and that he wants to defend free speech on the service. He has said he's not interested in making money from the company, but that he wants to reduce its reliance on advertising. Um, I mean... One of the biggest pains of using Twitter, and I probably use Twitter more than any social network, are the adverts, and they're so poorly targeted anyway. I, the, the, the number of things I see that are just 
absolutely of no interest or relevance to me is it's a little bit embarrassing for them to be honest with you it's like they're just throwing things on the off chance I don't notice that too much because I have personalized ads turned off on basically every platform. So I yeah. just like, I don't want, I mean, I occasionally like Instagram has started showing me ads for like music that it knows I like. So I, I, I thought I had it personalized ads turned off on there. It must just be from pages I follow. Um, so like, I kind of like that cause I found a couple bands that are not too bad from that. Um, yeah, but Twitter, like, you know how Twitter suggests like topics that it thinks you'll like. Yeah. Like not ads, just like like genuine stuff. Like some of the stuff that's suggested there has been really off. Like I probably shouldn't give any examples, but it'll just be like like a topic I have no interest in or feel like that like feel exactly the opposite about that it thinks I does. Like why would you think I'd be interested in this? It's just totally like you said, it almost seems random. Like hey, this is popular. You, you'll like it. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a strange it's a strange experience, Twitter. Uh, I mean, we'll see how this transpires, obviously. And but the, the purchase seems to be uh, settled. That's done. The money's going to be changing hands. Elon Musk is going to own Twitter. Whether or not it'll improve Twitter or not, I mean, in many ways, it can't get much worse than it is now. So, yeah. Uh, presumably, it will improve slightly. We will move on from that to uh, Microsoft Bing helping you to buy vegan shoes. It's part of its new ethical shopping hub that makes buying eco-friendly clothes a breeze. You can head over to the ethical shopping hub at www.bing.com forward slash shop forward slash ethical dash shopping. That's ethical hyphen shopping uh, for those of you. I just want to know if they do any vegan backpacks because I suggested a sitcom plot in a, uh, in a masterclass with some comedy writers recently. And I suggested the idea of a vegan backpack that was made from mushrooms that uh, hadn't been properly dried and then spawned over the people that were camping using the backpack. There uh, doesn't seem to be any... Oh, that's disappointing. There's no vegan backpacks. But anyway, hmm. um, all joking aside, once again, I mean, it's nice to have the option of an ethical shopping hub um, until you remember that this is Microsoft. So they're only interested in this is clearly just financial. Um, the default Bing search engine, uh, according to this article, make use of, will do its part to help you find the clothes that suit your needs. So running a search for vegan shoes, that's shoes that don't include animal products in them. Of course, I've been really flippant before, and I know what vegan products are. Uh, will prompt Bing to show you relevant results. Uh, it's an unusual departure for essentially what is a search engine, I like the concept of it. I'm not sure if vegan products is the angle that I would go with, though. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Uh, to, to be honest, I never knew there was such a thing as vegan shoes. Honestly, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, obviously, I know what vegan is, but I didn't know that that was something that people applied to shoes. Um, I guess that would just be like leather free. I'm trying to think of yeah, other animal yeah. products or like, I guess, like like animal hair in the laces or something. Um yeah, I mean, I if I was designing an eco or a, sorry, an ethical shopping page, I would be more focused on products that are like human uh, friendly, like not developed in hor horrendous conditions. Like that's uh, what I would focus on before I worried about anything with animals myself. But um, it looks like that is it's their partner. Good on you, the page says, and it says that their uh, their focal areas are people, planet, and animals. So um, if there's other considerations there, I guess that's not too bad. Um, yeah, I'm curious 
if if a lot of people were interested in this or if they just want the best deal or what the what the thought is there <laughs> well we'll see how that uh, transpires um i'll say it's part of being so it's presumably going to be there for a while to check out and the link to the article about that uh, you will find in this week's show notes we move on now to ubuntu 22.04 jammy jellyfish this is the latest release of ubuntu which is kind of a uh, major linux operating system i've just upgraded to it a couple of days ago and i found that it is reasonably very good however there is a little bit of a problem with anyone who wants to use firefox because it's um the method of uh, running firefox has changed that's annoyed a few people but to be honest with you it's pretty minor really um, in the Linux world, there's various ways of installing software, and Mozilla Firefox, being a wonderful operating system, is available in lots of different ways. Uh, but one of these ways is a Snap package, which is an alternative package management system developed by Ubuntu's developer Canonical, based in the UK. Uh, but this takes longer to load, which really annoys me. But then again, on the other hand, I don't shut down or restart my computer very often, and I don't close the browser very often. So... In many ways, it's kind of doesn't really matter that much, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's upset a few people, and some say it slows down performance. I'm not convinced about that. There are other issues with performance I've experienced recently on other devices that concern me more than this. Let's put it that way. So I'm not too familiar with Linux packages at all, so I don't have a ton to add here. Uh, is this? Does it make it so that it's more like baked into the operating system and less like a third-party app? Like kind of like how it's hard to uninstall, what well, used to be hard to uninstall, like Internet Explorer or something? Well, or that's weird. Own? It's weird to answer that one because before it was literally baked in, whereas now it seems to be sort of less baked in. So okay. it's a bit of a difficult one to answer. Um, one thing I should add, though, is that this is Ubuntu, so this is kind of like the king of the Ubuntu operating system. So all the Linux operating systems that are derived from Ubuntu are going to have the same changes in them when they're released um, over the next few weeks. So we've already got um, uh, Lubuntu and Xubuntu and all the others. And But the important thing is that this is an LTS, which means long-term support. What that basically means is that it gets lots of updates and lots of um, patches and this software is well maintained over the course of its five-year lifespan so if you are planning on switching to ubuntu um, this is the one to go with an lts long-term support because that way you're going to experience the most uh stable linux experience basically experience the experience yeah well brilliant english for me there but uh, yeah, that's going to give you the best Linux experience and LTS uh, if you're choosing Ubuntu. Uh, let's move on. You're not going crazy. Microsoft Defender really did flag a Google Chrome update as malicious. It is a false positive, though. So, uh, reported by Neil Wynn, people from forums and websites around the world are reporting Microsoft Defender accusing Google, Clo uh, Google Chrome, beg your pardon, of being a malicious program. Uh, Microsoft has since confirmed that the detection is a false positive, so you shouldn't fear that you're downloading something sinister onto your PC if you update Chrome. I beg to differ. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll look at it, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so basically what happened is the Google Chrome update was not correctly signed. Signing code is an important aspect of software development of what's software release because the signature confirms that the code hasn't been tampered with since its creation. And as the update files were not properly signed, Microsoft Defender blocked it. So it's the safe option, which is good because you want your antivirus software or anti-malware software to be cautious, don't you? Yeah, but you don't want it to be too cautious. Um, and, and with the way that we've seen malware attacks happen in the last several years, it's definitely plausible to think that there could have been like a tampered Chrome update that was being pushed out. I mean, Chrome is so huge, I probably wouldn't be what someone would go for because it's probably so hard to break into. But, you know, um, we've seen bad updates go out and affect, infect uh software like that. But um, as the article talks about too, it's probably more of a knock against uh, Microsoft Defender because those little things add up when you get like a bunch of false positives and you think, can I even trust this? If it's going to freak out over a false positive, is it actually catching a real problem? So that's not great to see that. Yeah, well, it's an accident, isn't it? So I guess we'll see how it if, I mean, I can't see this happening too regularly, but yeah, I don't either. And I would—I've mean, been using Microsoft Defender for years now, and I'd much rather have it be quiet and just do its job, and occasionally have a small false positive like that than have to deal with a vast or another big antivirus's nonsense of you know popping up constantly and trying to sell me crap I don't want. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay, so that's your tech news for this week. Now it's time for some tips and tricks. have a selection of tips and tricks to help you make the best out of your technology and this one is um, pretty much follows on from what we've been talking about why you have a responsibility to keep your computer secure keeping your devices free of malware isn't just smart it's a duty isn't it ben it is it's something where uh, we talk a lot about security as you know keep yourself safe keep your devices safe you know keep your own data from getting hacked things like that but um it's actually important to think too about how your device being secure actually uh, protects your friends and other people that you know might not even know um so i have a guide to uh some of the reasons why it's really important to keep your device secure as kind of a duty as an online user so we'll cover those quickly um First and probably the most important to remember is that what you do on your device can infect other people. Um, if you have an, a computer and you bring it to your friend's house and connect to their network and you unknowingly have some piece of malware that spreads over a network, you could be delivering that to their computers. Um, I know USB drives aren't too common these days, but if you had a flash drive and you gave it to someone to download a program or something, um, if you could have had a piece of malware on your computer that jumped to that flash drive. And then when your friend plugs it in, they're going to infect their own machine. So um, things like that are, it, that's how, that's why the term virus was used originally because it spreads like a virus. So uh, that's one of the reasons why you have to make sure that your computer isn't a point of infection for other people. Um, one of the other big risks are botnets, which I believe we've talked about before. That's basically yeah. when a lot of computers are unknowingly part of like a zombie network and then whoever's controlling all those machines can use them to um, attack a website to bring it down or generate a bunch of spammy clicks on a website to make money things like that so um, if you're part of a botnet then your computer's resources are being used to do something that you definitely wouldn't agree with doing uh, on your own uh, another factor is that you can embarrass yourself or your friends um, certain viruses and other infections can um, 
send out you know, Facebook messages and, and your friends might kind of roll their eyes and think that your security practices aren't great because they're getting fake messages from people that are pretending to be you. Um, if your email account got taken over, it might send out spam to people in your address book. So maybe if you were trying to get a job and you were emailing a client for a job or something like that, that could send spam to them and make you look kind of silly uh, and you would maybe lose a job opportunity over it. And it could happen if that happened to your friend too. Um, combined with the above, if you infected them and then their email client was sending out junk to people that trust them. Um, and with mobile apps specifically, another key point to remember is that it's actually pretty easy to give up data on your friends. So if you have people's contact information in your phone and you install an app that has access to your contacts, if the app wanted to, it could just suck up all that data and then it would have your friend's phone numbers and potentially their email address or uh, at even their physical address if you have that saved. So you don't want to just give up data on your friends like that. So it's vital to make sure that you're not installing apps that are going to do that. Um, and then there's also the practical aspect of, you know, if you install ransomware on your computer and you have to rebuild all your files that could take a while, then your computer's down for skyping with friends video chatting with friends or playing a video game every week with your old bu buddies or something like that so um yeah when your computer goes down it's not fun and then things you rely on it for kind of get delayed and that might not be something you think about so in addition to all the reasons to keep your system secure that we've talked about in the past those are kind of the the social reasons if you will all very good reasons and you should uh, take heed of all of them dear listener what is scam likely and what does the notification on a phone actually mean? Uh, you might have seen it when you've used your phone's caller ID to see who's calling. Uh, the name may appear to be scam likely. But who is this person? Ben, who's scam likely? Yeah, so Mr. or Mrs. Likely is uh, not actually a person. It is a feature that is built into T-Mobile's network. Uh, it's called Scam Shield is the overall feature. Uh, and it's activated on their network to try to protect their users as much as possible uh, from these scam calls. So if you have T-Mobile or if you're on Metro, which is their subsidiary, or if you're still on a Sprint plan since Sprint and T-Mobile merged, um, you might see this scam likely message appear on your phone. It doesn't matter what phone you have. It can be Android or an iPhone, even a, a basic flip phone. Um, essentially, the, the company has this feature turned on so that when you get a call that is from a known dangerous number, uh, or if it other people have reported it to have usual scammy things like robocalls or tech support scams that we've talked about before. Um, it's just yep. warning you ahead of time that if you pick up, you're probably going to be dealing with one of those is, is basically what that is. It's a cool feature. I, um, I found lately I've been lately I've been getting a few spam calls and I always mark them as spam, but a few of them have been coming through because obviously these spammy people change their number slightly, don't they? And they're always, uh, almost always from the same place. So it seems someone's, someone's desperate to uh, con me into uh, buying something stupid or, you know, letting them dial into my computer or any of those things or give, handing up my bank account details. That's the other one. So it's it's good to have this feature. I just wish it was a little bit more robust, but hopefully, because, you know, here in the UK, I'm not entirely sure it's like in the US. I suspect it's similar from research I've done for Make Use of. Uh, the organizations that are in charge of telecommunications really aren't capable. They don't have the tools to block spam calls, whereas internet-connected smartphones with access to a sort of giant blacklist, they surely do, don't they? 
Yeah, that's kind of where this links in. So I think we have another article about the shaken slash stirred protocol, um, which is something that basically every major network provider, I think in the U.S. it might be international, but at least in the U.S. Um, has implemented or is implementing on their network. And it's to try to block scam calls like this kind of at their source or to prevent them. Like once one person reports it, they just shut it down because these are so common. I mean, there's like, I think literally billions of them a year. Um, so yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's easier for them to do it with large lists that are web connected rather than trying to do it like analog manually, like in the old days. Um, and in the, in the linked article, I won't go through it all here, but there, there are a lot of other resources you can use to get more aggressive. Um, T-Mobile itself has a couple of other features where you can block those calls instead of just being alerted with the scam likely message. Um, other carriers have similar features. Some of them, most of them has, there's a free version and there's a version you can pay for, which you generally don't need to pay for. It's just because there's free apps you can use to do the same thing. Um, and Android and iPhone both have built in features where you can block unknown callers or uh, suspected spam callers in some cases. So there are more options you can take if it's if it's a big time problem for you. I haven't been getting it seems like they come in periods for me. I haven't been getting a lot of spam calls lately, but I have been getting scam texts and WhatsApp messages more often on WhatsApp. It's just like Bitcoin investment crap. And then text, it's like fake bank alerts and things like that. Yeah. I don't know if my number got out there somewhere. It seems like it's <laughs> happening a little more often than it used to. Yes, they can be a pain. They can be a pain indeed. And, uh, I mean, there is very little you can do other than try and politely say, no, hang up, or, you know, wait for them to uh, hurl abuse at you if you don't play ball. This seems like a good time to um, also mention that I'll include a link to the time I... Uh, spoke to a telephone scam person on make use of for make use of on the phone and uh i'll include a link to that in the show notes as well so that's a good that's a classic thank you <laughs> vpns virtual private networks you probably have heard of a virtual private network a vpn whether through seeing adverts on the internet or even on tv because a few of them uh surfshark a few others advertised on tv yeah. um or through work now, the interesting thing is, um, in, in terms of work, if you're working in an office and you've heard the term VPN, that VPN that you use in an office is different to the one that you use at home. There are f- roughly five different types of VPN. I'm going to go through the list of them now. This is really, it's a small piece of education, just to clarify what a VPN is in your head. Uh, it's basically a tool to securely connect to a network over the internet, which establishes a private connection called a VPN tunnel, which routes traffic through the tunnel so that that traffic cannot be observed or diverted. There are five types of VPN. The first is remote access VPN. That's the type that connects you to a private network via a secure remote server. That's the type that you see advertised. There is a site-to-site VPN, which is typically used in large companies where multiple users in various locations need to access shared resources. This might be intranet VPN or extranet VPN or a VPN that operates via the internet. That's good for connecting geographically distant offices across the internet securely. There's also client-to-server VPN, which is useful for connecting client computers to servers on corporate networks useful for work from home uh, it's also useful for managing 
our web servers. P2P VPN is compatible with peer-to-peer -peer networks and that can keep your peer-to-peer -peer downloads uh, secure. And then we have single protocol versus multi-protocol VPNs. Uh, these determine how data is routed through a network. And this gives users versatility in the protocols and some are more suited to particular purposes, which is why you need all the different protocols running there. Services like ExpressVPN, NordVPN, Surfshark and others support all major VPN protocols. And, you know, if you're using multi-protocol, it should automatically detect your scenario, what you're using the VPN for and choose the correct one for you. Uh, that is an article by Fawad Ali on Make Use Of that I've referred to there. Check that out in this week's show notes. We've reached that part of the show where we like to share with you a recommendation. It's uh, something that we've experienced over the past few days that we think you would like to know about. And um, it's been a few weeks since Ben and I last chatted uh, in this manner. So uh, we... Um, I'm pretty sure we've had plenty of time to uh, gather some new recommendations. Would you like to go first, seeing as I've gone on my own for the last couple of weeks? Sure, that's fine. So I was actually trying to think of something fun because I had a few... I feel like most things I've recommended are like things I use all the time, and I don't... I, I tend to like find something and use it for a while, so I don't come across new stuff as often as I'd like to. But um, my recommendation for this week is a site called Whisperer. Whisperify. I was going to say Whisperify. It's Whisperify. Um, it is a fun little music quiz site that connects your Spotify account. And then you log in with that and you can play a little music quiz um, with your top tracks. So the reason that I found this is I'm sure as most people listening to this have played Wordle and one or one or more of its spinoff versions. So there's a version called Hurdle, H-E-A-R-D-L-E, -E, uh, where every day it pulls a random track from, I think, SoundCloud um, that's well known. And it plays, you get six guesses and you get uh, a snippet of the song. So you hear one second and then you can guess or skip it, and then two seconds and so on, and you're trying to guess the song just based on its intro. And I thought, I like that. It's like the game show Beat Shazam, if you've heard of that. It's kind of fun to try to identify it. But mm -hmm. if it's music I don't know, and I don't know it, like it's not that fun. So I went looking for an alternative, and I found Whisperfy. So you log in with Spotify, and then it pulls your top 100 tracks, and then uh, you, do a, you can do a multiple choice you can do a one where you have to type in the name but it'll help it'll auto complete to help you um and then you choose how long of each how long of a snippet of each song to hear um if you want to go back for the last four weeks six months or the whole lifetime of your account for your top tracks and then you can also exclude some artists if you listen to like white noise or something where you can't really identify right. it um yeah and then you do the quiz you can do your top tracks or one of your playlists um which i think is yeah one of your playlists too so yeah it's just fun and you get a score at the end based on your accuracy and how fast you were and then you can send the link to your friends and they'll do uh, a showdown with the same songs and then it gives you a little personal profile too about uh your stats and then there's also uh, like some achievements you can go for so yeah it's a fun little thing if you like music and want to challenge yourself to see how well you know the stuff you listen to all the time just from a snippet it's it's a good time that sounds really cool i'm going to check that out although i don't use spotify that much but uh i'm sure i must have 100 tracks on there uh, my recommendation now i've sent my recommendation to ben and but i'm changing it i'm going to save that for uh -oh. another time last because, second change yeah 
it's a last minute change because um, last week I was in London, um, but after we came home from London, we remembered that there was something else that we wanted to do while the children were still off school, which was to go to York, where a building called Clifford's Tower, which is um, dates from the Norman Conquest, had been reopened and has been renovated inside, and it's uh, it's it, something we've never done before, so we, we went to check that out. Now, while we were there, we went to a place called the Fudge Kitchen. This is a place where they create fudge in front of you that you can then buy. Okay. Hot fudge is poured onto Italian marble where it cools and is sort of mixed further and sort of kneaded with sort of what basically look like wallpaper scrapers. And you can find out more about this at www.fudgekitchen.co.uk. There are a couple of fudge shops around the UK, and I don't know if they sell internationally, but you can buy fudge online and get it posted to you. And I would say, because quite often fudge can be kind of a bit grainy, uh, which happens when it's not prepared correctly. There's, some, uh, there's a chemical thing to do with the sugar um, either not dissolving properly or something like that. This fudge is um, full of sugar and full of cream and various other flavours. Uh, and it's worth checking out if you are into fudge. It is delicious. And uh, if you have any dietary requirements, there is a... Um, there are, they, they make some from coconut milk and they make some from... Um, Oat milk as well, if you're vegan. So that's good as well. Uh, now, I, I, I say this as if I've never been there before. I've been there loads of times, and it gets better every time. It's not a big store. And as I say, they've got several uh, places around the UK. I don't think they've gone international yet. They probably should. But they have a nice kind of uh, a very sort of small sort of uh, village cottage operation atmosphere to it, when really they're making fudge all day, and then they sell it, and it's dead tasty. And, you know, they've got a website, so you can check it out. So, you know, it, it qualifies as a recommendation. That, is, that I'm looking at their site now. So, I actually, I Googled it, and, and Fudge Kitchens came up, fudgekitchens.com. Um, in the U.S., they have a location in Cape May, Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City, New Jersey. It doesn't seem that there's any relation, um, right. probably, but I'm looking at the, the actual U.K. site. Now, there's a lot here. Yeah, there's Fudge subscriptions you can get, a three-, yeah. six-, or 12-month plan. Um, fudge they do drinking fudge as can, well. Yeah, drinking fudge. It says the most efficient way to get fudge into your system. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, this sounds pretty cool. I've um, I, I like I like fudge. It's it's one of those things where it's when you see it, it's always something fun to grab. And there, it's one of those things that's like more of an experience. I think, like you're saying, where when you like you're like watching them make it in front of you, and there's a million different flavors and free samples and stuff. That's oh, yeah. definitely something that'd be fun to try. Yeah, so uh, that's my recommendation. And as ever, that brings us neatly to the end of this week's really useful podcast. It would be great if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. If you do, let us know and we might read it out. You'll find everything that we've discussed in this week's show in the show notes. And until next time, from Ben Stegner and myself, Christian Corley, it's goodbye from us. <laughs>